It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Okay, well, let me uh, stop you right there, Brian. Um, welcome to Season 3, Episode 2 of the Good Fight Podcast. Uh, I'm Denver, joined along uh, with my friend, Brian Holm. Um, it's good to be back. Episode 2, getting Season 3 off and running. Feels good. And uh, so why did you so rudely interrupt my beginning narration? Well, why do you think so? Well, I think that I, I was off track. I was uh, starting off with the tale of two cities and uh, not the tale of three liberals, as is our, uh, is our beginning reference today. But we are uh, talking today about the tale of three liberals. And if you're tired of hearing uh, mainly Christian conservatives espouse things like that, uh, we've got the tale of three liberals that uh, I think, though that they are uh, maybe not hardcore conservative and probably not uh, Christian believers, uh, there's a lot of things that they're saying that make sense and that we can resonate with and some areas that we can partner up in as we're uh, engaged in the good fight. Yeah, and actually sometimes it's so refreshing to hear those voices um, uh, to, to speak out against um, some of the, the woke ideals that have come up in the past few years um, and especially to hear those, those words from people who don't necessarily consider themselves or, uh, Christian conservatives or, or what have you. Um, so it's nice to see that. And I really hope this kind of starts a trend for people to follow in, in their footsteps and direction. Yeah. And uh, I think we can commend all these people to you to an, to an extent. I mean, just like with anybody, with no matter what, uh, there probably will be some things you don't quite resonate with so much, but we need to be used to that and not, not make that a requirement as long as the, uh, some of those foundational things are there. So basically, uh, today we've got a journalist uh, by the name of Barry Weiss, a 38-year-old uh, who decided to resign from a, a very choice position at the New York Times. And then we have uh, two academics, uh, Jordan Peterson, a Canadian psychologist and professor, and uh, James Lindsay, an American mathematician. So, so those are our three. And we'll uh, cover them in a couple of segments with our, our lightning round in between. So we'll be glad to be able to, to cover that stuff. And we'll be back after a short break here to begin with our journalist. Be right back. We're back uh, to give you the first part of our tale of three liberals, beginning with journalist Barry Weiss. As I mentioned, she's 30 years old, uh, 38 years old. She's Jewish. Uh, she is, uh, is gay. At least she's married to a woman. Uh, attended Columbia University, got a BA there. Uh, worked for the Wall Street Journal as a, uh, a commentator and a columnist for a while. And then uh, worked for the New York Times. And then uh, I quite famously resigned from the New York Times uh, just in kind of reaction to, uh, to the kind of woke hypocrisy that she was seeing amongst that. So we're going to give you some of that background. And uh, in the meantime, she's comment commented on a lot of different things, a lot of different issues, some of which we can agree on, a lot of us as conservatives, some of which we can't. But I, I just really think that it's good to hear her voice speaking out in favor of things like free speech and the American ideal and things like that. And uh, so we've got a couple of uh, 
a couple of uh, audio clips that we're going to play for you and uh, give some uh, commentary and then uh, let you know, let's see what you think about it. Yeah, I, uh, there's a lot of talk about, you know, diversity. Um, we, we hear that a lot from the left, um, but in some ways, in a lot of ways, diversity is a good thing. And I think having figures um, uh, like this individual uh, who is a woman and she's gay, but she's also speaking for um, some common sense things uh, shows some, some good on that. And, you know, I think the, where we come from, we get a lot of, of, of flack for being, you know, racist or homophobic or whatever. And so it's nice to see these voices uh, appear and, and kind of defend that a little bit. Yeah. And I like Denver, what we've articulated in the past is that as Americans, that all of us as Americans are never going to be united behind the same religion. And, uh, you know, there's a Judeo-Christian ethic and, and morality that I think is, can unite us. But uh, the thing that I think we can all be united behind is an appreciation of our freedom and what it's taken to get us there and what it takes to, to keep it. So I think those are some good things to keep in mind as we interact with this stuff. Um, our first clip, uh, she is talking, and they're very short, uh, but it's, it's, it's kind of explaining why she left the New York Times. And you hear those terms liberal and illiberal uh, used. And in this context, it's that kind of classical liberal thing where uh, there is some kind of truth. Uh, we can discuss it, argue about it, identify it, but uh, that's something that we can approach. And if we don't happen to agree, we can all still appreciate our free speech to be able to say it and then be able to try to get along as well as we can. And then illiberal is kind of the opposite, uh, like a lot of the cancel culture and stuff we're seeing right now. So uh, we're going to take a second and we'll uh, play that first clip for you and be back in just a minute. I believe that the fight for liberalism, broadly mm -hmm. defined, yeah. um, is the fight of my lifetime, is the fight of our lifetime. Like everything is at stake in that fight. I felt that I couldn't do that job and wage that battle inside an institution that was actively captured by this illiberal ideology. I'm all about building new institutions. That's what I'm trying to do. It's starting small with a newsletter, but I want to build it into a much bigger company. There has to be a better option for people between Rachel Maddow or Laura Ingram. You know, yeah. I think the majority of Americans are purple people. They're not extreme red and they're not extreme blue. But, but, and they, but they want their tribal biases confirmed by whatever they listen it's to. It's a heroin a hit. Okay, and we are back. Um, and I really liked that, um, especially the part where she was talking about um, uh, most of Americans being purple. And how I took that um, is I think most of Americans feel like they're willing to work with the other side, but they also feel that the other side isn't willing to work with them. And so they kind of choose one side rather than um, trying to negotiate with the other side. So instead of being, you know, a you know, in between or a purple person, they kind of stick to the red or blue, black or white type of thing. And that just kind of pulls us apart. Um, and that's just kind of uh, America right now. It kind of seems that we're in that space where people are maybe almost afraid uh, to work and reach across the aisle. And I'd say that is very true in, in uh, politics um, with the people who we have representing us. They feel as if um, they don't stick to the red or blue side that they won't get reelected. But, you know, that's just kind of something that 
is going to have to take time to to heal and change. Yeah. Well, and and I appreciated her honesty, and even as somebody who holds uh, a lot of uh, you know kind of left leaning political views, that she recognized the toxic uh, atmosphere that was there at the New York Times and was willing to make the sacrifice of that very kind of a cherry heady position and uh, and and step out on her own and trying to to forge a different way. And so, you know, I think her voice is good. And you now the whole purple people, I mean, I, you know, the fact that I really like, you know, America is basically a center right country. You know, it's not a far right country. Uh, and <clears throat> some things like that. And there's lots of different gradations there. So I like what you're saying. You know, the commentator at the end, the guy interviewing her talked about people's tribal ideologies. And I don't know, I have a hard time kind of uh, wrapping my head around that, you know, tribal label type of a thing. But, um, you know, I, I think uh, that it does lay some groundwork. And our, ne- our next uh, clip that we're going to play uh, I really like uh, her appreciation for uh, uh, America and our, uh, our our heritage and legacy and the free speech uh, and all. So uh, I think that will it'll be it'll come a lot more clear the appreciation of that uh, when we w- uh, play that next clip right now. To look at the span of American history and not see that we have made enormous progress and the reason that we've been able to make enormous progress are precisely because of the values that are encoded in our founding documents, like equality under the law, like freedom of speech, like the ideal that everyone should be judged by their character and not by their family lineage or their immutable characteristics. Go other places in the world. You don't have those values. Okay. Wow. Uh, praising America and the founding and the founding documents. Uh, you know, if she didn't resign from New York Times, she probably would have gotten fired for saying stuff like that. So, <laughs> yeah, really. uh, again, I, you know, th- this is somebody, if, if they feel that way, as you were saying, too, this is somebody I, I would love to sit down and talk with and try to, uh, to work out some stuff and how we can help maintain and improve the system so that we can hammer out the real problems that are around us and facing us. I loved how she talked about progress and how that we are able to do that because of the founding documents. Um, I am doing lesson planning at college right now, practicing that. And I had to pick a theme uh, for my history class that I would teach. And I picked progress because I believe America, that is a theme of America is progress. Um, no matter what point in time that we are in, we make progress. Um, and we are able to do that because of the founding documents and uh, the support we have from there. Nice. It's kind of an aside. Will, will you make a dis- distinction between progress and progressive? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right, good. Um, there was another quote as we uh, round out this segment uh, by Barry Weiss that I thought was even more informative about uh, some of the atmosphere around the New York Times. So uh, she said, Twitter is not on the masthead of the New York Times. And here, here's an aside. If you're not familiar with a, a physical newspaper, uh, the masthead is the, the big uh, writing up at the top that tells the name of the paper and their philosophy and the publishing and all that stuff. So Twitter is not on the masthead. I'm continuing her words. But Twitter has become its ultimate editor. 
As the ethics and mores of that platform, in other words, Twitter, have become those of the paper, the paper itself has increasingly become a kind of performance space. Stories are chosen and told in a way to satisfy the narrowest of audience, rather than to allow a curious public to read about the world and then draw their own conclusions. And I really like that end thing, that a curious public to read about the world and draw their own conclusions. And uh, I just I think, I think that's a very cool and very sad uh, commentary on a, uh, a great uh, journalistic institution from the past. Yeah, like you said, that last part, I think that is the perfect way to describe what the role of the media should be, uh, is to put the information out there and then let the public kind of, you know, uh, take their opinions from there. Um, that, that, but <laughs> that's not the case so much nowadays, huh? Yeah, no, I mean, there's always going to be a perspective, and there always has been. I, I don't think we should expect uh, that. And I think one of the things that's gotten us into problems is is expecting that there can be completely objective journalism. But there's a difference between that and just utterly uh, shunning the facts and canceling anybody that that is saying anything against that. And I and that's what she yeah. was recognizing too. I think. Yeah, and, and I think I agree. You know, I. It's hard to imagine anything without some bias. I think there's a lot of bias that is natural. Um, you know, if anybody was to write a paper that they tried to be unbiased, a little bit of bias is going to come out. And I think that's just a humanistic type of thing. Um, but like you said, completely canceling people, taking people off of platforms. Um, it's just gone to an extent that is something that we haven't seen any time before. Yeah. Okay. Well, just in our resources, if you get our email, um, there's a, a link to a, a more extended interview uh, of her by uh, somebody at the Hoover Institution. It's a conservative think tank, uh, which is also good. And there's lots of stuff uh, out there. You won't have any trouble finding uh, more things like that. It's, it's a very interesting perspective. So... Well, with uh, uh, that about Barry Weiss, we're going to take a break and then come back for our lightning round and then talk about our two academics. So we'll be back in just a second. Okay, and we are back for the next segment, uh, the lightning round. Um, and there's been really two main things that have been on my mind. Um, uh, we'll start here in the U.S., and that is inflation. Um, I'm looking at the national debt clock right now, and we are at roughly $31 trillion, um, about, yeah, $31.5 trillion. Uh, in debt. And I, it feels like yesterday, yesterday that we were at 19. I don't know why I remember 19. Um, that was probably four or five years ago. And it's just, it's increasing um, exponentially. And you have to ask yourself, you know, wh- when can we stop the bleeding? And I think uh, Senator John Kennedy, he's probably the, the best person in politics for sound bites. Um, he is so funny, and I think the, he gets his funniness from how how straight he talks. But it, it's interesting the kind of analogies he makes and everything. Um, and basically, he uh, was talking about inflation, and it's, he compared it to a credit card. And you have to pay your credit card off, and if you don't, there's consequences. And America's credit card 
<laughs> is, you know, we've run the bill pretty high. And, and so I, I've been hearing a lot of, you know, what we're going to do if we're going to raise the debt ceiling and the different negotiations going on with that. I know McCarthy wants to sit down with Biden and kind of hash it out. And I think eventually that's what it's going to come to because it's going to take the Republicans to, to raise the debt ceiling. Um, so, you know, we'll see. Um, eventually this has got to stop. And I think uh, for 2024, the elections, the big elections coming up in, uh, in that year, I think this has got to be a pretty big topic we need to talk about because it's talked about mm-hmm. every election, but it, nothing ever really happens uh, about that. So we need to have some real uh, talks and some real solutions to this. So I would really love to see some people come out with some solutions because all you hear is talk. And I'm kind of, you know, to be very honest, I'm kind of sick of just hearing the talk. Um, yep. We'll go abroad solutions, for a minute here. Solutions. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I'm just saying some so- solutions, you know, and, and and some action. Yes, solutions. Yeah, exactly. Because anybody can come up with a solution, but to actually uh, put some action into it is definitely another thing. Um, and then the other thing I want to talk about is uh, going abroad. I've talked many times on this podcast about Ukraine. It's been about a year now, but the most recent news is uh, that the United States is sending uh, the first squadron of tanks uh, to Ukraine. Um, And it sounds like the United Kingdom and Germany is going to follow suit. Uh, The United Kingdom and Germany were saying that they weren't going to send tanks unless we sent tanks. Uh, So the squadron, um, the squadron is 12. Uh, So we're sending 12 tanks to Ukraine and it's unknown how many uh, the UK and Germany is going to send. But uh, obviously Russia knows about this and um, they've come out um, and basically saying, hey, uh, you guys, NATO, you guys are getting directly involved. You know, this is leading towards, you know, going to be a direct conflict between NATO and Russia. Well, uh, a NATO official came out... um, two days ago uh, on the 29th and said that uh, the Alliance NATO is quote ready for direct confrontation with Russia. And maybe this official is ready for direct confrontation with Russia, but I, I do not think the world is. Um, and so, you know, I've been saying we got to keep an, keep an eye on this and you know, what can I do sitting in my chair in, in Cedar city, Utah? Well, I don't know, but this is what I'm doing. Um, and, you know, we really have to put pressure on our leaders to step up. And instead of sending tanks, maybe we need to set up a meeting and actually uh, do some diplomacy, because that's the way we need to end this war, not with sending tanks. Well, I certainly agree with that. And, and uh, just some, somebody uh, calling people together for, to, to hammer out a solution. And um, so, and, and I know for me, I, I really need to pray um, uh, for the situation because that that kind of rhetoric sounds very dangerous and uh, would not be a, a good thing for any of us. So thanks for the reminder. Yep. And I just, you know, we, I get so lost because, you know, I'm, I'm 20 years old and, you know, there's been wars and everything. But, you know, if you look throughout history on the timeline, Every hundred years or so, there's a really big conflict that involves the world uh, in some way. Um, So I just, you know, we really have to, like Brian said, pray. Um, That's the main thing that we can do at the moment. 
Yeah, and it's interesting, Denver. Uh, you know, Mike Pompeo just recently uh, came out, and and I, he's somebody I I respect highly. Uh, but he's saying, yeah, give 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 Ukraine everything that that they want to help them, and and uh, you know, boy, I respect him, and so I want to try to respect what he's saying. But I I sure have a hard time agreeing with that particular tack right now. So that's yeah, something. it's a it's a messy situation. Okay, well, I've got three things on my list, and I'll get through them real quick. Uh, first one, we talked last week about Harmeet Dillon and her bid to be the chair of the uh, Republican National Committee. So I titled the uh, segment Harmeet's Defeat. So uh, she did not, she was not elected. And um, you know, I, I like some of her ideas, like getting the RNC out of D.C., that kind of toxic atmosphere and fiscal responsibility and doing what it really takes to win elections, even though we don't like mail-in ballots, that... They're going to be reality for a while, but uh, we just need to continue to pray that uh, that the kind of change uh, that we want to see will happen and that some of these even electors in the committee uh, might be able to be unseated if they don't uh, encourage these uh, some of these things that Harmeet was, was articulating well. Um, second thing is uh, re- reflects a book that I'm reading by Dr. Larry Arn, the president of Hillsdale College. It's called Churchill's Trial. Winston Churchill and the Salvation of Free Government. And uh, I wanted to give you a quote. I'm really enjoying the book, and it really has a wonderful explanation of socialism and uh, Churchill's arguments against it. And he fought very vehemently about it, uh, kind of doing a a Ronald Reagan tear down this wall type of thing. Uh, And so listen to this quote uh, about it, it's, and it, and it's so good and so true. We see it happening so much. So he said, I declare to you from the bottom of my heart that no socialist system can be established without a political police. Many of those who are advocating socialism or voting socialist today will be horrified at this idea. That's because they are short-sighted. That's because they do not see where their theories are leading them. No socialist government conducting the entire life and industry of the country could afford to allow free, sharp, or violently worded expressions of public discontent. They would have to fall back on some form of Gestapo, no doubt very humanely directed in the first instance. So that use of the G word, Gestapo, in, in, his, uh, in his campaign in 1945, uh, he was urged greatly against that, like Reagan was uh, against his... Uh, his tear down that wall argument, but wow, that really says it. And it points out, yes, the Gestapo is not going to seem like the Gestapo at the beginning. It'll be very humanely directed, of course, for our own good. But uh, we just really have to be wary about that. And Denver, don't we see a lot of this kind of thing shaping up? Oh, definitely. And I think Churchill is the greatest example of a man of the time and ahead of his time. Um, I mean, especially with that quote, for sure. Yeah, and there's there's so much more. Uh, I could go on and on, but I won't. <laughs> and finally, just briefly, uh, uh, Charlie Kirk uh, had a very interesting interview with Tucker Carlson, who uh, I think is is another. I mean, he's very conservative and and very outspoken on a number of issues. Uh, and uh, he comes from uh, a religious background. I think he would consider himself a Christian. But I thought it was very interesting to hear some of that discussion. Uh, about him and and just you know not 
didn't seem really solidly biblically grounded, a little bit ignorant of Scripture. And, I, and I'm not, I don't want to talk him down, but just we need to realize that, uh, you know, all of us, uh, especially if we're, we're uh, believers, need to ha- have the Word, have the Bible as our plumb line. And where it, like we said last week, where it speaks uh, directly, then we need to speak directly. But I would commend that to you. If, you, if you're a Tucker Carlson listener, uh, I mean, he's, he's a very endearing self, but it's very interesting to look at some of the ways he is and gives us some good ways to pray uh, for him also. So there's a link to that uh, in our newsletter that we'll be sending out. Very good stuff. Tucker Carlson, he's a, he's a great voice. He's really good with connecting with young people, too. He does so many great things. And so I, for one, he's a voice that I really enjoy listening to. So that's something that I will have to put on my list. Very good. We'll be back in a second for our two uh, academic liberals. Alrighty, and we are back, uh, uh, and we're going to start off this segment uh, talking about a man by the name of Jordan Peterson. Uh, he is a 60-year-old Canadian psychologist, um, and uh, it's not too uncommon these days, but he's been banned from Twitter <laughs> uh, for comments against gender reassignment surgery. And interesting uh, note on Jordan Peterson is, you know, I one of my fatal flaws is being on TikTok. <laughs> but my TikTok, I promise you, is different from the ordinary uh, person's TikTok. Um, and so you'll click on my TikTok and you got videos of Jordan Peterson talking, Charlie Kirk, all kinds of stuff. Um, but this is actually how I found Jordan Peterson is through TikTok. So go figure, really. Um, but he has some really good things to say. He's very blunt um, and he's very hard nosed. But um you know, he has a lot of good things to say. Um, and I, I'll, I'll start off on one of his quotes that he has on, on gender identity. He says, I knew full well as a clinician that as soon as we messed with fundamental sex categories and changed the terminology, we would fatally confuse thousands of young girls, end quote. And he's kind of spot on there um, because you, you see this, this trend of more and more people kind of following down this path. And that's no mistake to uh, our social culture and the way that it has done that. And probably through TikTok too, uh, just as one of those methods. Uh, but really any social media platform can can be a messaging system for that stuff. But I digress. Yeah, well, and I think as a psychologist, he, he does some good explaining uh, about some of the ways that, well, you know, you, you're not you're not in the wrong body if you're a man and you have some, uh, you know, kind of feminine, the emotional uh, characteristics or something like that. It just means you've got a little bit different makeup than other people do. It's not you're in the wrong body and you have to, to embrace that and learn how to be that kind of a man. Uh, but you don't just, you know, have surgery and try to proceed down a, uh, down a, down a fantasy world. So that's a good thing. Yeah. And you know, there's some really sad and fortunate statistics of the people um, who, who get gender reassignment surgery and, you know, the suicide rates among these people, you know, why aren't we taking a look at that? So it's a very unfortunate uh, kind of thing that's going on. Yeah. 
Well, and another quote I like, it's more of a general quote about uh, about the way uh, culture operates and the importance of our culture. Uh, and he talks about, in, in other places, the importance of Western civilization and how free speech is important to that. But uh, this quote talks about uh, kind of our, our categories, our way of explaining things. It says, if categories just dissolve, especially the fundamental ones, the culture is dissolving because the culture is a structure of category. So uh, he said, so in fact, culture is a structure of category that we all share. So we see things the same way. And that's why we can talk. Uh, roughly speaking, uh, we have a bedrock of agreement. And then he concludes in an interesting way, and that's the Bible, by the way. So I think he's alluding uh, to the fact that one of the kind of foundations of our, of our culture and our civilization has been the Bible and that kind of moral uh, foundation that it supplies. And that, uh, I mean, we as believers, to us that's not a bad thing at all, but uh, to everybody else, I think one of our messages can be that that's not altogether been a bad thing for any of us. Uh, when we look at what's happening as a result of, of going against some of the stuff that it says. I 100% agree. <clears throat> Give me a person who's not a believer and try to have them convince me that the morals and, and the values in the Bible, how that shouldn't apply. They don't have to believe everything in the Bible, but let's take the morals and the values that it teaches. Tell me why that shouldn't apply to society. Yep. And that's why our founders were so clear on the importance of virtue. Yeah, and then exactly. again, we're we're digressing one more time. The stuff <laughs> we've gone. So just take a look at some of the the stuff. There's a good uh, article kind of showing how the the woke reaction to Peterson and Barry Weiss's publisher uh, with some of these books that they've written. Uh, uh, Peterson's book, The Twelve Twelve Rules for Life: An Antidote to Chaos. Uh, I haven't read that myself, but it's one that I think uh, I, I I might like to read uh, just because it's so uh, so sounds so interesting. Uh, and there's a link to his stuff at the Daily Wire. Okay, uh, and then uh, as we conclude here, our other academic is uh, his name is James, uh, man by the name of James Lindsay. Uh, he is about 43 years old, got a PhD in mathematics. Uh, though he never worked in, in academia, he used his academic uh, qualifications to help expose hypocrisy of academic research in what he calls the grievance studies affair. And you can read more of that about it, and I've heard him tell about it, but he and an associate submitted a series of hoax uh, academic papers to various academic organizations for review. And they, they read all these glowing uh, uh, reviews that they got of these things that they wrote totally tongue-in-cheek with these outlandish ideas, but kind of like the Emperor's New Clothes, they were being praised by uh, how wonderful and insightful that they were being. And so um, he's that's kind of been his stock in trade, uh, in addition to uh, just kind of calling out the kind of woke uh, culture of critical theory in general. Um, so he wrote this book that I have read and I highly recommend to you about, it's called Cynical Theories, and, uh, and it really outlines in a lot of different ways uh, all the ways that critical theory has undermined these things. So um, um, I'm, uh, as we go here, we're kind of running a little bit long. I'm going to read one uh, quote of his uh, that says, At best, it's a chilling effect on the culture of free expression which has served liberal democracies well for more than two centuries, as good people self-censor 
to avoid saying the wrong things. At worst, it's a malicious form of bullying, and when institutionalized, a kind of authoritarianism in our midst. And so there's our Gestapo, or there's our, our political police. When we, when we self-censor just because we're afraid uh, like that we're going to get canceled or that some people aren't going to like us. I want to backtrack just to a minute ago when you're talking about critical theory. And I'm going to call us out a little bit. Um, there's been some school districts around the United States who have been banning the term critical thinking. Um, and I'd like to put out there that critical thinking is different than critical theory. And I think our students Very should good. still learn to think critically. Critical theory is a different thing. So I just wanted to point that out. And if you're hearing that, um, uh, try to help other people different, uh, differentiate those two things because they're totally different. And we should definitely be critically thinking in today's world. Yeah. And he, he's another one that's definitely worth uh, listening to. And there's a lot of his stuff out there and, and interviews. So I would commend that to you. And uh, if, if you want a kind of a good laugh, listen to his commentary on that, uh, that project for academic review of his, because it's, it's uh, I mean, it, if it weren't so sad, it really would be very funny. <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> All right, we'll be back in a second with our conclusion for this week's episode. We're back to go ahead and wrap things up for this episode. Um, and our quote um, that we're going to read comes from 2 Timothy 4.2. And it reads, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And that's just a great reminder uh, in any day um, uh, for all of us, especially patience with me lately. <laughs> I'll, I'll say that and be honest. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I think just to, to follow that up, uh, one of the things James Lindsay talks about is just the importance of, uh, of language and how language in critical theory uh, is being used against us. It's being redefined without our knowledge. And one of the things he points out that that, uh, uh, that, that leads to is that, uh, that, in, that different language that they're using represents a different culture. And so that means that there are two different cultures, uh, really, that are are, are, tr are are living side by side, fundamentally misunderstanding one another and uh, not having a way to communicate on that. And so, you know, it says people who have adopted this view may be physically close by, but intellectually they're a world away, which makes understanding them and communicating with them incredibly difficult. And uh, probably you have too, but I, I've experienced that in, in my own family and circle of friends and former students that uh, more and more we realize, man, we are at, we're around the same Thanksgiving table, but there are, you know, we are just worlds apart in some very important things. And uh, just, you know, what do we do about it? Well, we need to speak uh, lovingly and yet clearly about that. And I think that can be our good charge going forward. Absolutely. Having those tough conversations, though you may not want to have them, they're really good to have um, in the right situations and scenarios, obviously, for your family. But um, I definitely agree. 
All right, well, thanks for listening. Let us know what you think and um, give us an email at goodfight71 at gmail.com. Let us know if you want to be included on that email list. Uh, But keep up the good fight, everybody, and uh, pay attention and listen. Some of that homework we gave you last week, uh, listen to some of these links and be informed of what some of these people are saying and then filter it through that grid of scripture and and the truth and then go out, uh, make it your own and uh, get in those conversations with people for that that important ground game we got going. Yeah. I also want to mention uh, that we are on Twitter now. So if Twitter is your platform of use, uh, check us out there. So Twitter and Facebook. Um, not TikTok yet. I haven't gotten Brian to to sign off to that, but you know, we'll see. The good well, fight we, TikTok. We didn't talk. We we didn't talk about the Chinese Communist Party getting a hold of Denver since he's all over. <laughs> yeah, TikTok, really. So, yeah, that'll be another episode, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, take care, everybody. Keep up the good fight, and uh, we'll see you next time. God bless. Bye.